We ready for this? Psalm 95 says this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, we're starting a new series called Come to Worship. And as we, as we uh, pursue this, this, uh, this perspective on worship, I believe that God has some great things for us. I believe that God wants to open our eyes and build within us uh, something great, some, uh, a desire to know him intimately and to pursue him passionately. I believe that he wants to take us to a new place, to a new level uh, in relation to our worship. Uh, the title of this uh, series comes from Matthew 2, verse 2, and I want to show this passage to you very quickly. We're not going to stay here, but um, it, it says this. And it's tied to the, to the Christmas season, to where, where Jesus was born. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. We've come to worship him. A little bit later in that passage, we see that when they actually met him, when they came into his presence, they bowed down, they worshiped him, and they gave him gifts. The, the thing I like about this passage, I, I just love the fact that the perspective that's painted by these magi, by these wise men, is that they brought something to Jesus. They didn't come expecting something from Jesus. And that's a very important picture that it paints as it relates to worship. You know, I think it's easy for us to have in Christianity the perspective that worship or even serving God is about us. In some weird or, or twisted kind of way, you know, if we, if we do the right thing, if we pray the right prayer, if we, if, if we say the right thing, then, then God is going to do anything we ask of him. You know, and it's a focus on us. It's sort of like, you know, you, you take the, the, the bottle and you rub it, right? By saying the right thing, doing the right things, and poof, out pops this God that, you know, he pops out and he says, hey, your wish is my command. Here I am to serve you. And it's easy. Listen, even, even, even if you would say, I don't think that way, it's easy to have that subtlety creep into our mindset. It's easy to have that subtlety cause us to be, uh, have a twisted perspective of our view or our relationship with God. And in reality, worship is really all about him. It's not about us. Awesome stuff happens to us as we worship or happens in our lives as we worship, but really it is about him. It's about him. So the reason God exists, it's not to to serve our every need, although he lovingly does that, doesn't he? he, he he's amazing in the fact that, that he serves our needs. 
He does not exist for us. We exist for him. And we can easily have the, the perspective twisted to view his existence as serving our purposes. Like we are in the center uh, and we, our needs are going to be met and he's the one who's taking care of our needs. We're in the center of the universe. And that's, that's not how it is. Really, we exist to love him, to worship him, to praise him, to bring glory to his name. And so in this series, over these next several weeks, we are going to talk... Uh, and I hope in this, uh, we're going to talk about worship, but I hope in this, this series that we, we can establish very clearly a culture of worship here at Faith Chapel. Uh, a culture where, where we are free enough to be ourselves as we express our love and our gratitude to God. Uh, a culture of worship where we understand what a worshiper really is and what worship really is. And so uh, we're, we begin the series today uh, with the mindset that we're here to glorify him, worship him. We'll stick to this Christmas narrative uh, throughout the series, but our, our focus and our emphasis is going to be on the topic of worship. So the bottom line is this. We all worship something, don't we? I mean, there's the, whether you're Christian or not, whether you're mature in your faith or not, it doesn't matter where on the spectrum you fall. We all worship something. There's something in our life that we absolutely adore, that we're devoted to, that we're committed to, that we give our life to, that matters most to us. We, we all worship something. There's, there's something in our life that we worship. I want to give you uh, a, a modern-day definition of worship. Worship is a response to the things that we value the most. It's a response to the things that we value the most. So, so worship is an action or it, 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 it invokes a, there's an evo- invoked response to something that matters to us a lot. And, and it could, again, it could be anything. It could be uh, someone you're pursuing. It, it could be your self-image, you know, or maintaining the image that you've work so hard to establish. It, it could be your possessions. It could be shopping. You know, it, it, it could be the things you own, the things you want to own, the desires you have in life. It could be people-based. It, it, you know, it could be sports-based for some of us men out there, you know. I, I, I mean, worship could fall in, in any range. The things that we worship uh, could fall in any range of category, but it is what we adore, it, it really comes down to this. It's what we adore, what we devote ourselves to. It's what we worship. Now, I want to say something very clearly. God, God is not, in my opinion, God is not all that concerned with us having passions in life. All right? I believe those passions are a reflection of who he is. I believe the greatest concern when we talk about worship is that when those passions become uh, higher on our list or take the throne, another way to say it is, is take the throne of our heart, become more important to us than God. That's when God gets concerned, my opinion. Again, so you may be passionate about, like for me, I'm passionate about fishing. You know, you hear about me, you hear me talk about that from time to time. I don't believe that God would say, you can never fish again. I mean, he, he may tell us to, to lay some things down in life. 
But the reality is that I don't think God is in competition with things that he knows he's, he has a superior position in our hearts to. You understand what I'm saying? And so as we move on, I want you to have that mindset. I'm not, as I talk about things, I don't want you to think that anything you do in life is a bad thing because that's just not realistic. It's not realistic. There's things that we're going to do. There's things we're going to enjoy. There's entertainment that we're going to pursue, things like that. But when these things become bigger in our lives, bigger in our hearts than our God, that's when uh, there's a problem. And so as we, as we talk about this, we want to talk about the response to the things that we value the most. And, um, uh, and so I want, to, I want to share with you from a passage real quick. Let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy uh, is, is sort of a retelling of the law, Old Testament retelling of the law. And I want to make this statement while you're turning there. This statement comes from Louis Giglio. I think it's a very powerful statement. It says, whatever you are worshiping, you become obsessed with. Whatever you become obsessed with, you imitate. And whatever you imitate, you become. Very powerful process or progress of of. Uh, the things that become devoted to our hearts, the things that matter most to us have the greatest impact in our lives. In other words, whatever you value, you become like. It, it ultimately will determine uh, who you are in life. Whatever you worship will ultimately uh, determine who you are in life. And so there's some things that be- can become uh, enthroned on our hearts that are not so good. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 14, we see this, this warning. We see this warning. And, and this is coming from a God. This is the way I look at it. This is coming from a God who understands our hearts, the, the, the passions, the emotions, the desires, the things uh, that, that he created us uh, in his image. So, so he understands our hearts. So he understands there's a propensity or a, a, a habit, if you will, to become something or to, to love something or become passionate about something that could be other than him. So he gives us this warning. You shall not follow other gods. Actually, if you think of the first commandment, you'll have no other gods before me, right? You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of you is a jealous God. And so here, here God's giving us this warning, like, there are other things that you're going to encounter in life. In those days, there were people groups that the Israelites, God's people would run into that worshipped other entities, other gods. And he, he gave a warning to them that, listen, you, I am the Lord, your God. I am the true God. You're going to worship me and none other. But in reality, in our, in our day in life, there, there are gods all over the place, Right? There's, there's the God of money. There's the God of power. There's the God of position. You know, like we, we could, there's the God of image, you know, like we, we can worship things very, very easily and we can get swept up in the worship of other things. So, so this warning to me uh, has, has equal value as it did to the Israelites because um, 
the Lord expresses himself as one who is jealous, meaning he wants our devotion for himself. And so we can easily get caught up in uh, establishing a problem where things, t- things take the place in the throne of our hearts, that they become higher than God, more important to us than God. And we need to be careful of that. We need to be careful of that. And so I can love things. When I say I love fishing or I love watching the Steelers or, you know, I, I love spending time with families, I love them, but I don't love them more than my God. I, don't, I love them uh, less than I love Jesus, okay? How do, I, how do I establish that? Is that just in words? I mean, of course I love you, God. This is how I assess these, this thing in, uh, in my heart. This is how I determine, are there things that are taking priority in my life above God. And this may work for you. I begin to look at, okay, is this, is this something like I'm devoted to? Is this something I'm passionate about? How much do I find myself thinking about it? How much time do I find myself investing in it? How much am I investing monetarily? Like, is there a high value so that I'm giving money, time, even my thoughts, I'm consumed, my thoughts become consumed more so than God. And you'll find if you begin to survey the areas of your life, there could be some areas, and, and I have to continually monitor my life, there could be some areas in your life that you say, wow, I am, I am giving way more time to this. Uh, it has way more position or higher position in my heart than God does at this time. And when that happens, when that happens, we are worshiping something else more than we are God. And so we need to be careful, all right? It's not the end of the world if you discover that because there's always a way out, right? Uh, we, we repent, we confess it to God, and he brings us to a place where he restores us. We change our ways. That's part of repentance. And we begin to reposition the priorities in our lives, Okay? This, this is a very, very basic thing, but I, I would challenge you. Think about some of the things in your life. Think about the passions that you have. Maybe it's shopping. You know, let's just run with shopping. We just, we just got past uh, Black Friday, right? You know, was, was, was shopping so significant to you? This doesn't, uh, this doesn't make you bad because I've been out on, on, Christ, on Thanksgiving Eve, okay? Or Thanksgiving night. Black Friday Eve it is. But was, you know, did you, did you cut everything off with your family to go stand in line for hours to get in the door of a place so you can get a gift? Were you one of those people that robbed it, took a gift out of a kid's hands? <laughs> did you see the video? There was a woman that, this little toddler, I mean, like two, three years old, this woman snatched a box out of a little kid's hand. Now, even if all that is true about you, all right? <laughs> Even if all that is true about you, you know, you got to look at it and say, you know, am I consumed with this thing so much that I'm giving more time, more attention, more thought, more brain power to that, more energy than I am to God? Because it's easy for us to begin to place things on the throat of our hearts higher than God. He says, you'll have no other gods before me. So, so that's one, 
one of the ways that, uh, that things can get in, in the way of worship. Another one is pride. Another one is pride. And pride can, can look, it's, it's, it's a little bit more subtle, but pride can look like this. Uh, you know, well, well, I worship God. I, I worship God, and my heart is to, to worship God, but I, I don't do that kind of stuff. You know, like, I, I don't, I don't want to raise my hands. I don't, I don't want to dance. I don't want, you know, and, and you're, you're more concerned with the impression of people around you. You're more concerned with the image that you carry than you are about worshiping God. You see, pride can get in the way of us having a heart that's fully devoted to him. That's fully, you could say, well, that's just not my personality, but, but, but it's God's personality. You know, it's God's personality. Pride can get in the way uh, of, of our worship to God. And, and we want to begin to lay these things down one by one, one by one. You know, if there's something we've discovered that we're more passionate about, that we're spending more time on, we lay that to, down. If there's something that we're, is hindering us from being free in God's presence, we want to just lay that down before God. I've got a, I've got a passage I want to share with you in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. It says, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. So there's these rulers, these religious leaders, Pharisees, believing in Jesus, right? But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Now here's the key verse, verse 43. For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. You could call it pride. You could call it fear of man. It falls into a similar category that something else is more important than God. My actions are dictated more by people than my desire to love and to express honor and blessing and to please my God. And so pride can get in the way of us having a heart fully devoted to God, having him number one, uh, having, uh, being able to freely worship him. This is what I believe about worship. Worship flows out of relationship. Worship flows out of relationship. So if our relationship is, is, is uh, limited, if it's hindered, um, if there's stuff in our heart that has taken the place uh, or taken a higher place in our heart than God, then our relationship's hindered and, and, and worship is shut down or very limited. Here, here's, a, here's another uh, another thing that happens that can limit our, our worship, our free worship to God, and that's called s- spectating. Spectating. Uh, I'm going to go after some stuff. And, I, you know, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, I love you. But listen, <laughs> I, I have a vision for this place, and, and I want to establish a culture in this place where we are free to worship and that every person is engaged. Every person has entered in. Every person is this, experiencing this encounter like my wife was alluding to. Just going after God. Uninhibited. You know? Um, I believe that God has called us to be worshipers. Each and every believer called. Each and every follower of Christ called to be worshipers. First and foremost. So, uh, spectating. I can watch. But my definition of uh, worship that I share with you, worship is your response to what you value. 
So what, what, what ends up happening is people just sitting in their chair, you know, playing with their phones, maybe a yawn here or there, leg crossed, you know, waiting for the worship session to end. They're not, you know, I would question whether they're engaged. You know, I don't think sitting down means you're not engaged. But, but I believe that you, you know, that, the, that God is worthy of all of our praise. Like, he is amazing. He is the great God of the universe, uh, you know, at, at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And this is the time that we devote out of the week to come together as a body. And it's a time that we worship him corporately, together, and we express our love to him. And he shows up and he does amazing things. He changes our lives. He manifests his presence. He heals people. He brings joy to broken hearts. Uh, you know, amazing things happen. And if we're, if we're caught in the mode of spectating because, you know, I don't know. Well, we could go back to pride on this statement. I, don't, I just don't like that song. You know, or, you know, this is not my favorite worship leader. Well, what are we worshiping? Are we worshiping the leader or are we worshiping the God, our God? We can miss it. I'm telling you, this is just one another area where we got to be very careful to keep our heart in the right place. God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our worship. So someone once said, church services are like, watching uh, a football game. There's 60,000 people who need a bunch of exercising, exercise watching 22 people running around that are exhausted. <laughs> it's all about spectating. No, that's not the way God created it to be. You see, he, he created us as worshipers. He created us to lift his name high, to exalt him. Now, let, let, me, let me put it this way. My wife sitting here on the front row. I could, I could say to you, Kelly, I love you. You know I love you. And from this day forward, no hugs, no kisses, nothing. But you know I love you. See, that would not fly with her. That, that wouldn't work with her. But somehow we think it works with God. He knows I, you know, he knows, he knows I love him. He, he knows I love him. See, my wife needs to hear me regularly. She needs to feel my touch regularly, right? And, and God, God in, the, in a very similar way, he needs to hear it. He, if, if you really do love him, he knows he lo- you love him, but he needs to hear that you love him. He wants to hear that you love him. And our worship is an expression of our love to our God, Right? How long, how, how long could you get by if you're, you know, if you're a husband and wife or even, you know, if you have children or people you love in your life, your mom and dad, how long could you get by without expressing words of adoration and love? I mean, we still, even to this day, deal. I, I deal with people all the time trying to encourage them and help them get healing uh, who grew up in homes. Uh, my dad never told me he loved me. You know? I was never told by my mom that I was loved. And that leaves scars. Why? Because we are emotional beings. We need, we need to know that we're loved. Well, where do you think that emotion came from? Right? So, so worship is a form of us freely. See, 
He, he, can for, he could have forced, but he, he could have forced our love and our adoration and our worship, but he gave us a free will. That's why it's so meaningful. If you, if you said, you know what, to your, your son or daughter or to your brother or sister or to someone, you know, every day, the moment I see you, you better say you love me or you're, gonna, you're in trouble. That's forced love. It's, it doesn't have any meaning because they're doing it out of obedience or out of the threat than they are out of uh, a natural, uh, the natural flow of what is going on in their hearts. It has much less meaning. And so God doesn't force us, but, but we were created as worshipers to express freely our love to him. Amen? So, so that is our expression. So we can't get by, go by with, God knows I love him. No, he wants to hear it. He wants to hear that we love him. James 4.8 says this. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You see, God has already made the first move. He, he sent his son. He demonstrated his love for me and you by sending his son to die on the cross. Right? This is love that Christ died for us. This, that's the demonstration of his love. Like, he's already in the game. He's made his move. And now the next move is ours to say, I'm going to draw near to you. And we'll see, we see this reciprocating thing. We draw near, he draws near. We draw near, he draws And it just keeps going until... We meet face-to-face. That's why the most intimate people with God are the greatest worshipers. Because they've, they've learned this process. I draw near to God. He draws near to me. Wow, this is amazing. I'm drawing closer. He draws closer. Oh, my goodness, this is incredible. He, we draw closer again. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He draws. And it's just this amazing uh, uh, flow of this relationship because our worship flows out of this uh, love relationship, Right? And so we see that, that God is, is, is inviting us. He's, he's welcoming us. He, he's saying, make your move. I've already made my move. It's your move. I'll make another move when you make your move, right? Some of us are waiting for God to make his move. If God shows up, if God does something, then, then I'll worship. And I've already made my, he's already made his move. Make your move and he's, he's going to come closer. That's what he tells us. Draw close to God. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. We also let not only spectating, but tradition get in the way. We let tradition get in the way of our worship. What does this look like? It looks like this. And I touched on it a little bit earlier. I have my preference of worship. When they play vineyard songs... Then I'll worship. When they play Hillsong, that's when I really enter in. When hymns are played, I reserve my worship. When hymns are played, boy, am I going after God. We could do this with the style of worship, with the worship leader. We we could be caught up. Listen to me. Our, Our... Our traditions can become a replacement for worship itself. Jesus was trying to do away with the traditions that limited people from drawing close to him. He was going after uh, the heart of people. And that's why I've told people, you know what? There may be a day where we have no instruments, you know? There may be a day where I'm leading worship. God help us. (laughs) 
I expect dancing. I expect celebrating. Why? Because you're not worshiping me. You're worshiping him. Right? Listen, he is worthy of our worship. And what are we gathering to do? We are gathering to worship the one true God, our Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is high and lifted up. He speaks and things happen. Listen, he has good intentions and good plans for you. He is worthy of all of our worship. And so as we gather together, we come. We come with a heart that says, you know, he, I am going to go after God today. I am going to meet with him. I am going to lift him high because he is worthy. Now, I'm going to step on some people's toes. I'm just trying to warn you. You have a tradition. Listen, you stood in line for five hours on Black Friday. But you can't get here on time to church. You'll wait for hours, you'll wait for hours to get something that you want, but you can't give God the honor of being here and giving him all your worship for an hour and a half. Listen, I love you, but your absence impacts other people. And I'm telling you, when there's a room full of people going after God, it changes everything. There are times that we start worship services and there's like 15, 20 people in here. And I'm thinking, is this all that are coming today? No, they just they trickle in here, there, and there. I understand from time to time, but for many, it is the norm. We are not here for ourselves. God does some stuff when we come in our lives. We are here to exalt him. We are here to love others. God, in the midst of that, feeds us. He touches us. He speaks to us. There's awesome things that happen, but when we view this whole thing as it's about me or uh, I don't feel like going today, other people are missing out on that. I always say it this way. You could be on time to a doctor's appointment. You should be on time to church, right? If you're meeting with a friend, you'd be on time, but you can't be a... I, don't, I just keep going on and on. And I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm just saying, listen, where in, where, in this, where in the list of things in our heart does God fit? Priority. Our worship, our meeting together. Don't forsake the meeting together. The gathering together of brothers and sisters, right? Where does, where does God fit in all this? You know? We should think about that. We should think about that. That's all a part, in my mind, of worship. Here's a verse talking about tradition. Jesus went after tradition because he, he, he doesn't want tradition to rob our hearts of what, uh, what is true. He wants, he wants what's going on on the inside of us to matter more than what is taking place on the outside. And many times tradition is externally based. Here's what he says in Matthew 15.3. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Skipping down to verse 7. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You see, tradition can get in the way of true worship to the one true God. 
And we need to lay, if that's, you know, if that hits something with you, you just need to lay it down. You can walk out of here and say, you know, that's a done deal. I'm feeling good. I'm filled with joy. I'm filled with hope. I'm coming after God, you know. Don't come down here dragging your tail between your legs and your head, you know, your head down, your shoulders slip. That's not what this is about. How can we grow into the kind of worshipers that he called us to be? That's what this is about. Come to worship. And so uh, those are some things that can hinder our worship. So what is it really that God desires? What is the thing that God desires? What does God want from us? And I, I want to land in a, in a passage here in, um, in Psalm 50. Psalm 50. You see, if there's, if there's things that could be on the throne of our hearts that we need to deal with, uh, and God really doesn't, doesn't uh, take pleasure in these things, all right, so that's good. I, I understand that. I understand spectating and, and pride and, and letting other things get in my life and, and tradition. Those things can hinder me from being the kind of worshiper God called me to be. What is it that he really wants? Psalm 50 says this. Now stick with me. This is in the New Living Translation. It says this, I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer. These people were commanded to bring burnt offerings, sacrifices. He says, I have no complaint about them. But I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. In essence, he's saying, you're bringing them out of obedience, and I appreciate that. But that's... I don't need that. That's not my greatest desire. That doesn't make my heart warm. Okay? Verse 10. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and all the animals of the field are mine. In essence, he's saying everything is mine. What can you bring to me that I don't have? What is it that you could bring that would be beneficial to me? If you come to worship me, you know what? I, I have animals. I have money. I have the cattle on a thousand hills. I have all this stuff. I am God Almighty. What can you bring to me? Check this out. This is awesome. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. Do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? Here we are, verses 14 and 15, our landing spot. Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God. Keep the vows you made to the Most High. Then call on me when you're in trouble, and I'll rescue you. And you will give me glory. Very quickly, I want to go through those three things in verses 14 and 15. He says, make thankfulness your sacrifice to God. There's something so powerful about gratitude, about thankfulness. There's something that moves my heart when my kids say, thanks, Dad. You know what? I, I recognize you went out of your way. I recognize you love me. I recognize you did some amazing stuff for me. Th- thank you so much. They do it, you know, unprovoked, unexpected. It just comes out of their heart, their overflow of gratitude. There's something very powerful about that. What does that look like to us? What is worship to God when he's saying, I, w- I want you to just be thankful. Like, everything that we have is his. Sometimes we cling to those things as if they're ours. And we're mad at God when something bad happens to those things we cling to. 
when never in the whole process were we thankful for what he gave us. He says, make thankfulness your sacrifice. God, you know what? Thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for my wife, for my family. Thank you for what you're doing in my heart and my life. Thank you that you're drawing me closer to you. You know, uh, just, just the expression of gratitude is very powerful. And, and so he's saying we need to thank him with sincere affection. You know, you wake up in the morning, that is, your day today is a gift from God. The, bre- the air you're breathing is a gift from God. He is really good to us. And sometimes we forego or we forget to, to uh, look to him as our provider, the one that meets our needs, that cares for us, and takes care of, uh, of everything going on in our lives. And he's saying, make thankfulness your sacrifice. Um, Psalm 100 verse 4 says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving. You see, there's, there's this key to thanksgiving. Enter his gates as you're coming into the presence of God and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Uh, two years ago, we started this tradition on Thanksgiving at our house. It's been uh, amazingly powerful. Uh, what we do as we're eating a meal is we, we go around the table and each person at the table expresses uh, uh, thanks to God for the people at the table. So I think this past Thanksgiving, there were 13 or 14 people at the table. And so each person would say thanks, why they're thankful for that person around the table. So one person would say it 13 times if there was 14 people there. Does this make sense? And this, and this is so powerful. I mean, we went through boxes of tissues. People are so, because you know what? It, it's so easy to take things for granted in life. It's so easy to think of the negative, and we're sitting down intentionally saying, you know what? You know what I appreciate about you? You know what I'm thankful to God for about you? And we look people in the eye, and we begin to share things from the bottom of our heart, and it's so meaningful, so powerful. Thanksgiving makes a difference. So he's saying, make thanksgiving your sacrifice. He goes on to say this in that passage. Uh, and keep the vows you made to the Most High. A vow is this. A vow is, is a commitment that you make when you want to take a relationship to another level. I don't know how many vows you've made, but I could tell you at this very altar, I've made hundreds of vows to God. You know, God, I give you my life. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you ask me to do. God, I surrender again. God, I am yours. Take all of me. Use me for your glory, right? I I have made vows, commitments to God, promises to God. You can call it whatever you want, but he's saying this. Listen, fulfill the vows you've made. Fulfill the vows you made. Give yourself to him. Give control of your life to him. The things that you've spoken to him, begin to walk that out. That is worship. That's powerful worship. That, so so we, we want to take our relationship to a new level. This looks like this. God, I am giving you my day. You are welcome to interrupt it. I am giving you my time. I am giving you my finances. I am yours. I am give, turning my relationships over to you. I want you to have your way in my life. My heart is yours. The last thing that we see here in this passage is this. He says, make thankfulness, so, we're, so we're, we thank him with sincere affection. 
We give ourselves to him by fulfilling the vows we've made. Then look at verse 15. It says this. Then call on me when you're in trouble and I'll rescue you. You'll give glory and you will give me glory. Listen, I take this as meaning depend on him. Sometimes we have, we have this area of our lives that we depend on ourselves and, and then there's areas in our life where we depend on God and it's typically when we're in trouble and we're at the end where we can't, we, we've tried to depend on ourselves and it hasn't worked, so then we turn to God. And, and you know, like everything in our life, everything in our life is dependent upon him. Everything in our, every relationship Every health concern, every situation, every, every financial situation, every job situation, everything in life, even the food we eat is dependent upon our God. And so we begin to acknowledge that. We begin to look to him and say, God, you have been so good to me. And he invites us, listen to me, call to me. Make, uh, he says, call on me when you're in trouble. The more dependent we are on God, the greater worshipers we'll become. The more powerful people we'll become for him. The more dependent we are on God, the more the world is changed around us. Because God is flowing through us. It's not me, it's God working through me. I give my life. I, I, I surrender to you, God. So I want to close and conclude these thoughts Quickly, he's called us to be worshipers. We're going to get into the postures of worship and the different aspects of worship as the series goes on. But the reality is this. Worship flows from relationship. Worship flows from our relationship to him. And so the closer we get, the more thankful we are, the more dependent upon him we are, the more committed we are to walk, walk in the ways we've promised the greater the relationship and the greater the worship. So what is the thing that God desires? I wrote down a few things. He wants you to love him the most. He wants you to love him the most. He wants you to love him above all other things in your life. He, he wants you to offer yourself to him. Everything you do, all that you are, that's what God wants the most. All that you are, all that you have, he wants you to include him in everything that you do, dependent upon him. He is your God. He is worthy of worship. So God is really, really into your relationship with him. He is. And so as we pursue him in relationship, our worship, worship increases. Again, because we're drawing close, he's responding. We're drawing close, he's responding. He says, draw close to me, I will draw close to you. Would you stand?